to Architecting. I'm your host, Angela Mazzi. You made it. This is the landing pad for raw honesty about connecting your career with your purpose. I'm going to give you the tools you need to be an unapologetic advocate for yourself and others, because if you're here, you believe that the space we surround ourselves in matters and you're committed to project by project building a better world for all of us. If you're with me, let's get architecting. So I walked away from this conversation thinking, well, what can I do? Because I'm, you know, we're all just doing one little piece. What is it that I can do that would be simple? Kind of equate it, you know, you're standing at a lake and you're throwing pebbles in and they're little and they're tiny and they're creating this ripple and you can't see what's happening 50 yards out. But what if we all were just throwing little pebbles and creating those ripples that create a bigger wave? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Architecting. I am so excited today to have as my guest, Tennille Bettenhausen. Tennille has so many different facets to her. She's an author. She's a client success manager at Microdesk. She's a podcast host. Her podcast is called Death by Architecture, and we're going to get into that because it is a really, really cool concept. And then she's also a storyteller and recovering designaholic. So welcome to Neil. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I love podcasts. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of how we met was by comparing podcasts to one another. But I just love your whole story. So you went to Arizona State for architecture school. So we have living in Phoenix in our past as a kind of common through line. But tell me about that. Like, what made you want to be an architect? And how did you get from there to writing books and being a podcaster and working at Microdesk? Oh, wow. That's a, <laughs> that's a long, long road. But um, it all started in April. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it, you know, I, I wanted to be an architect. Or I wanted to um, work in this industry because I really loved trying to understand different types of people and cultures, how people feel the process. Like I'm very much so a people person, which is probably why I'm in the career that I'm in today. But I didn't look at it as like the the building side. I wanted to know why people use buildings, what type of functionality a house has. Like I was always intrigued at how people could use a space. And so I went into the architecture program also because my um, stepdad growing up was a civil engineer. He was working in the oil industry and it's dirty and gross. And like, he was always grimy and I was like, but he was always on AutoCAD. So he was, he would let me like mess with the drawings. And so I was like, well, what can I do? That's not dirty and grimy and gross. <laughs> Still understand people in the process and how we utilize, how people utilize space. And so right there was born the desire to be in this industry. Um, and so I did go to Arizona State University. It was very hot. And I had to change course and I came home because like we talked about before, I couldn't find a job during the time that I was looking. We were right about to go into recession. And so I decided to come home to California and I got my first job working in a firm and worked in the firm on practice side, like doing design and construction, really project managing and having my hands on a project for about 15 years. So I worked in projects doing 
uh, Starbucks and banks. And that was like, that's all I ever did. It was like, if I saw Starbucks, I was like, I probably worked on that Starbucks. I worked on that shopping center. Um, and then I had my daughters. I had my oldest, uh, my girls right now are, are 13 and 10. So um, I just couldn't spin all the plates. I was having a really hard time having a newborn meeting project deadlines, um, you know, what I would, the projects I were wor was working on were hospital projects. So they were after hours and there was a lot of late nights. And so I went to my IDP mentor and I asked him, what do I do? Like, you know, what am I doing? Like, I need help. And he said, you know, have you ever done business development? And I was like, no, <laughs> I have a background in architecture. Like I've been doing this for 15 years. He said that, you know, you you are great at building relationships. You know what a high-performing team is. You know how to do a project from beginning to end. And you love people. And I think you'd be great at it. And so I walked right through that opportunity. He got my first, got me my first job in business development. And that's been about six, six years ago that I've been on the business development side. Still working obviously in AEC. You know, I work in the design technology side now, so I'm still, I feel, affecting the change of the built environment. And so just a little differently now, working with architects that, you know, and how they can build projects faster and better. Yeah. That was it in a nutshell. <laughs> I love that though. And I love how diverse our profession is because like you, I started doing a lot of prototypes. I was doing Arco AM, PM gas stations and convenience stores. <laughs> so you can be doing that kind of corporate work. I work in healthcare now, so it sounds like you did too. So you can work in different project types, right? Which are completely different experiences one to the other. Or you can take that skill set and do something adjacent to the profession like you're doing. So yeah. I don't think we always take the time to appreciate what our architectural background can give us yeah. in terms of a point of view and a way of navigating the world. Yeah. I mean, it's, it'll always be there that the skill set that, you know, you attain from going to architecture school and working in this profession, it never goes away. My conversations with my girlfriends that work that have backgrounds in architecture are even licensed architects but now work for other companies because they're seeing that skill set be so necessary in their day-to-day -day business that doesn't have to do with the actual design. But we we learn so much like how to manage people, how to manage projects that is so relevant that you know other companies like Amazon, Slack, Salesforce are hiring actual design professionals because they need that skill set that you just can't get um, in any other profession had a lot of career pivots and I, and that's a whole different, that's a whole different podcast episode. <laughs> but, um, I have, you know, pivoted my career to a point where I found what I love and I'm deeply passionate about. And that's just really the people side. So it's been good though. That's really, I think what I talk about a lot on this podcast is finding your passion yep. because the minute you know what you love, you get all this clarity. Yep. And now you see the world in a different way because there's a million things going on in the world at any given moment. There's so many opportunities, but most of them we don't even see because we're filtering them out. 
But when you have the clarity of what you want to do, you stop filtering it out and you start seeing what's possible. Tell me a little bit about what led you to create your podcast and how you find these cases to talk about and all of that. Well, so I love podcast. I was probably like one of the early adopters to podcasting. Like I, I love like listening to NPR um, shows, which is now with, with the, was the beginning of podcasting. I love the spoken word. I feel like we've really gotten away from that. Like that's like how I know about things from my family ages ago, because my grandmother told that, you know, my mom and she told me. And so I felt like podcast just reminds me of that storytelling. Right. And so I've always been intrigued by it. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like, I was like, anybody want to listen to me yammer on about like, whatever, I don't know. And the pandemic happened. And so my job is largely building relationships with architects and engineers. And so everything got canceled. There was no AIA conference. There was no, like all the things that I would very traditionally do were not we weren't sure at the time, was it going to happen? Was it going to get canceled? They didn't know. And so I thought, well, how else can I, I need to think outside of the box? How else can I connect? And I thought back to all the podcasts that I listen to. There's so, it's such an intimate medium that I know so much about the hosts. I'm inviting them into my car. I'm inviting them into my house. Like I'm listening, I'm like on my walk. And there's things that I know about each podcast host, like their family and, and the stuff that they tell where I feel like that's building a relationship right there. And so I thought, well, what, what do architects want to listen to? And there's plenty of great podcasts like yours uh, that talk about architecture and the profession. And I thought, well, I don't need to get into that space too. Like just another person like talking about it. Cause I felt like we've done a great job of representing that voice. But I was like, what do I like to do? Cause it is a labor of love and I do love true crime. So I thought, well, what if architects and engineers committed murders or they were part of murder? So I just did a quick Google search and that is how it was born. I was like, if I can find at least 20 stories, that'll keep me going for, you know, a good year. And I mean, there are just a multitude of cases that just things that I had never even heard about. Everybody knows who Frank Lloyd Wright is, but I had no idea that his mistress was murdered. They left that part out of architectural history. (laughs) Nobody talks about that. And so I just found it fascinating. So many people have connected to that, like, you know, wanting to hear about the stories. I keep them super short. They're only like, you know, 15 to 20 minutes that you can listen to them in your like commute out to your job or whatever. But really it was just to find a way to remain connected during the pandemic with my you know end user which are architects and engineers but then I found that like it's kind of neat to tell the stories that need to be told you know there's so many great stories you know unfortunately they're you know about someone having their lives cut short but there's stories that need to be continually told one of the podcast episodes that I did was about workplace violence a woman was killed on a job site at a construction job site by her coworker. When I was researching the story, all the coworkers knew that they fought each other, that they didn't like each other, but no one said anything because they're like, oh, they just banter each other all the time. Like, don't worry about it. None of the job site construction guys wanted to get involved. And so I think from that incident, 
spurred a lot of workplace violence activity where like, what do white collar workers, like how can we affect change on the sites? Um, and then how can they change, you know, and make it safer for them you know, beyond the hard hats and the PPE, but if you see something, you say something and it could save a life. Be able to continue to tell her story, which was great because I got to talk to the family. You know, a lot of people didn't know this happened. It happened in California and I had no idea that that it happened. So been an interesting journey, but I did have to take a little bit of time. As you know, podcasting is a labor of love. It takes a lot of time to research it and, and you know, record it and edit it. Um, but I wanted to find some space for my book. It's on hiatus. I have stories that I want to tell and record, but um, it took a little bit of time for the book. For those listening, they can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts and it is mm-hmm. called Death by Architecture. And it's true crime in our profession and it's not um you know all murder it's they're just it's crimes that we commit and you would not believe how much crime we actually commit in this in this industry yet another <laughs> skill we have who knew <laughs> yeah who knew it's a bag of tricks <laughs> so. no i love it and so now you have got your book published it is available for sale it's called maybe i'll be an architect and it is a book for children so that's another big pivot for you what made you want to tell this story i think back to the pandemic time there was i mean obviously a lot a lot has happened over this two and a half year time period and unfortunately you know after the civil unrest in our country and you know, there was a lot of conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and I was actually invited to a, a discussion, a, a state-level AI discussion about what can we do? And there's some big name, big name architects in this. I was probably like 40 people and, I, and me. I'm like, how did, I, how did I get here? But I felt like it's such a big challenge, right? To diversify our profession attract and retain the talent, right? And then of women and people of color, it's mind boggling. So we're in this room and we're talking and it's like almost stuck in analysis paralysis because we need to do all of the things, but I mean, we just can't, we can't do everything. And so I walked away from this conversation thinking, well, what can I do? Because I'm, you know, we're all just doing one little piece. What is it that I can do that would be simple kind of equate it, you know, you're standing at a lake and you're throwing pebbles in and they're little and they're tiny and they're creating this ripple and you can't see what's happening 50 yards out. But what if we all were just throwing little pebbles and creating those ripples that create a bigger wave? And so that was the impetus for the book was beyond the problems that we have of like access to education. Not every university has a architecture school. We, We talked about that prior to recording, but you know, if kids don't know that the profession is a, is even an opportunity for them, we've missed out, you know, we've missed that age group. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe it's not just about architecture as a career, it's careers as a whole, because my 10 year old swears she's going to be uh, a YouTube star, right? <laughs> I'm just going to make millions of dollars on TikTok and YouTube, which I think is great, but I feel like it's like a little bit like the NBA, right? Like 
a lot of people play basketball, but not all of them make it, you know, big and, and make money off of it. So I thought, well, if kids are like my daughters and they get to see my husband and I as professionals, we both went to school, we, we both work full-time jobs and, and mid-level and senior level in our professions right now. But what about the kids that don't have that? You know, they mm-hmm. don't see uh, mom and dad, you know, and I can, I can speak to that as I was raised by a single mom. But she was all I saw. And so what if, you know, mom doesn't have the job that encourages career exploration? And so I went to Barnes and Noble. This is like kind of a funny thing. I went to Barnes and Noble and I said, where are your diverse books on architecture and and construction? And the girl was like, the what? And she had no idea. I felt so bad. She was like, dear God, I was like, I have no idea. I I don't know. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to write it. I think it's been really neat because I've been asked to read the book to kids because I think that a whole nother chapter to it, right? It's like it's an onion that keeps getting peeled, but being an author is actually a career. And so I think now kids of color are seeing like, oh, that's an opportunity for me too. Like I can, she looks like me, so I can write, I can write books. I could be an architect. I could do all, you know, I do whatever I want. And I feel like Asking kids today what they want to be with when they grow up is almost taboo. Like, oh, like stifling them or something. I don't know. But you've got to be able to answer that question because you're going to get to 18 and you don't know because you've never been asked or you've never explored it. So it's been super awesome. I swear this, I saw this in the podcast when I released the podcast that this profession is so mighty to support each other. Like, I put it out there and people are like, yes, this is so awesome. And then when I released the book, um, I'm in a Mothers of Architecture Facebook group and they rallied so hard around the book that it became the number one children's release in architecture books in two categories. So number one in architecture books for kids and number one in diverse books for kids because it's mighty, mighty to support. And it's, it's been, it's been great. And so I hope that it won't stop. I, I am going to do an AEC collection. So there'll be, maybe I'll be an engineer. Maybe I'll be a general contractor and I'm translating. Maybe I'll be an architect into Spanish. So that'll be available probably in a couple of weeks. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and also working full time. <laughs> two kids. It's crazy over here, but we're getting it done. <laughs> You're my people. Yeah. (laughs) Give me more. It's like swimming in the ocean with like holding two babies. And I'm like, I'll take another one. Just give me more. (laughs) Well, for me, I get bored, right? I like the challenge of figuring something new out. And then once I figure it out, I'm like, yeah, I don't need to do this anymore. Yeah. Moving on now. I think, you know, to having a background in design, being able to bring projects to fruition, right? Like pulling those permits to cutting the ribbon, it's a process. And, the, and each project, even today, as I drive back by some of them, I'm like, I remember like, you know, it's like blood, sweat and tears of like being a part of the project team and working in business development. I, I don't have anything to, I don't have those creative projects to bring to fruition. And so the podcast and the book are very much so how I scratch that creative itch. Now it's 
also building community. I get to talk to people, like I got to meet you. And I mean, you know, like we cross paths with so many different people every time we, every time I start a new, you know, project that it's, it just opens up another set of doors that this has been really awesome. And it's, it's what I love doing is connecting with people. So it's like, what more can I do? And my husband's like, oh gosh, here we go. Another wild, <laughs> another wild so, adventure. <laughs> yeah, it's so important that you keep growing and keep evolving. And I love that you're willing to really be brave about it, not just do like little incremental shifts, but when you get an idea that you feel empowered, go for it. What advice would you have? Because a lot of people, maybe you might pop in their head, I could write a book or start a podcast or start my own business or whatever their dream is, but they almost immediately turn the tap off because they are afraid. So what do you do when you get these ideas to really take that next action step? Well, I think a lot of times what's holding people back, because I, I do, like so many people have said, oh, I want to do a podcast. And I'm like, do it. <laughs> you know, I want to write a book. Great, do it. But I think what holds people back is that they are just too busy. Like we're, you know, for me, I'm a mom. I've got a full-time job. I'm married. And there's just a lot. I'm volunteering all over the place. PTA and all that stuff. So when I have an idea and I think, oh, I just cannot, I cannot do another thing. My husband actually said, you know, you need to Marie Kondo your life, right? So Marie Kondo is like the, you know, yeah, yeah. shirt and like, does it bring me joy? It doesn't it throw it away. But I laughed at him at first, but I was like, okay, that's actually that's kind of brilliant because, you know, I'm on the PTA and I, I'm a joiner. I'll, if you ask me to do something, I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. Whatever you need. Cause I want to, I want to be a part of it. It's that building community part of me, but is it bringing me joy? And if it's not, it's, it's gotta go. And so I knew right then, like writing this book, when I first thought about it, I was like, it's going to bring this, this is exciting to me. I want to complete it. So I had to make room for it because we'll make room for the stuff that brings us joy and makes us happy. And if that's podcasting, if that's writing a book, if it's cooking, whatever it is, you just have to make room for it. It doesn't have to be big. You know, it doesn't have to be the big, I don't know. I don't know if this book is going to spark the interest of a kid that wants to be an architect or, or whatever, or changes their path. So it doesn't have to have a big outcome, but I think you just have to continue to just do it. I mean, it, it could be this teeny tiny thing that you don't know. I don't know what will happen. And it's like the, like I said, the pebble in the, in the lake, the ripple will continue on. And I've let that ripple go and that's okay. Cause maybe something good will happen at the end. And I'm not like saving the world. I wrote a, I wrote a kid's book, but I think that's what I would say to people that are afraid to make, take that next step is to just, just do it. If it brings you joy and you think that it's, you know, what you're passionate about, yeah, to just do it. You're not gonna fail at it. I mean, I I could have. I you know, there's a lot of things that I think I could have done that you know, like like my pandemic sourdough bread, um, you know, fascination that I had over the last last year and a half, and I still have not perfected it. But I had to like put that away. Um, but you know, it, I'll get back to it. It'll it'll be okay. It's another creative outlet for me. 
I love that you mentioned failure because I think a lot of time we are such control freaks and such perfectionists that we hold ourselves back because we don't want to even try unless we know we can succeed. But I'm always saying failure is how you learn. Fail early, fail often, and you can always course correct. But if you never take action, nothing ever changes. Talk a little bit more about that and how you just go boldly on and how do you know when you need to course correct and how do you know when you need to just let something go and try something new? I went into specifically about the book. I was like, even if my mom is the only person that reads it, it's totally fine, right? Like that's one person, it's great. And so I didn't even think about what happens if it's a failure. It's okay because- if you don't take the leap, then it just never happens, you know, it's never going to happen and you just won't know. Honestly, I have not done it perfectly. Like self-publishing is a beast and there's mistakes that I've made along the way, but you just course correct. One of the mistakes that kind of comes to mind, which I find really interesting is, you know, there's wisdom around waiting to launch your book, like building that team of people, which I had because the mothers of architecture, they're awesome. Hi, I want to say hi. If they listen to this, hi, because you guys are awesome. And so I was building this team and I thought, I'm going to get like 10 moms, maybe 20 of them to read this thing and talk to their friends. I posted it one time and I had 300 people that were wanting to support me and read the book and talk about it to their communities. There was wisdom around building this launch team. And I accidentally published the book. It was late at night. I was looking at some stuff and I hit publish. And I'm like, no, no, no. My launch team hasn't even seen it yet. So what am I going to do? And I was like all upset and it's all out there. And Amazon has an algorithm that you want to make sure the first 10 days is out. It's everywhere. and People are talking about it. And I was like, I don't know. So I had the course correct and I pulled it off of the shelves. I had to recreate another book and, you know, with another ISBN. But that was a mistake that, you know, I had at that point had to decide what I was going to do. Am I going to just let it be out there or do I course correct? And so I decided to course correct, which was a costly effort, but I'm glad that I, that I did it. And so we just every day have to try it and see if it's going to work out and if that doesn't work, we try something else. If it's going to be successful, great. I don't know. I, I was okay with it just being my, my kids, you know, were like, oh, I'm on the cover of a book. <laughs> that's cool too. Like they're all excited about it. So I was like, that's a win. It's a win in their minds and, and that's okay too. But um, we just have to just try it. You got to step out on faith because I think that that's very much so a professional hazard, right? Like you got to try all the things and throw it out there and see what sticks. What I think is so beautiful about what you just said is how light you were about it. And you clearly were very motivated to do it. You've talked about how much it means to you, yet you didn't get too attached to it. I think that lightness helps you be more successful because you're more willing to be vulnerable about it. You're more willing to ask for help. You're more willing to just say whatever happens happens and there's not that kind of overly pushing energy that we can have sometimes when we feel like we can't make a mistake or it has to work and that can actually repel people 
versus being light about it makes them as excited as you are. I will fail forward. <laughs> like just keep on, keep on. I mean, and that's very true to my career. There was a, a, a touch of feeling sad. Family members are like, oh, you've got a new job, another one. <laughs> I'm like, All right. Well, it's okay. You just kind of keep on, you know, trying and figuring it out. You're not going to have just one job in your life. Like, you know, you got to find what you love and what you're passionate about. And that might not be at that particular job and it might not be in that particular career. But I did have fear like around, because you, like you were just saying, um, it's very intimate, right? Like uh, podcasting is very much so it's our voices. Like I said, I, I know a lot about the people that put on shows because, you know, you, you're letting people into your, your life. And I think the book is very similar you know, where everybody has an opinion, uh, I would have done it this way, or I would have said, I would have said this. And so I, there is fear wrapped around that, where the groups that I posted about it in, I asked for permission, probably weeks before I actually posted the, the post that said, I wrote this book, and I need your help. There is definitely fear. So I don't want it to come off as like, I oh, just bull in the china shop, and I'm just going, there's definitely fear wrapped around it, but the motivation to get it out and to do it and to, to see what, where it could go was what drove me past that fear that like, and that everybody, like I said, very supportive AEC community to rally around me and be like, oh my gosh, how come we didn't know before? How come you didn't tell us? Like, you know, so the good and the bad, but I say, go for it. Every time, anytime somebody says they want to do something, I'm like, do it and just keep, gotta power through it. So, yeah. So, you know, looking back, if you could give advice to the 18 year old you who was starting architecture school, what would you want her to know? <laughs> this is a family friendly podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> just, kidding. just kidding. I don't think I would have changed anything. The 18 year old me would be probably surprised that I'm not having my own firm right now, right? Or hanging my own shingle to design. I would tell the 18 year old Tennille to just keep going. It, whatever anybody else says, like the family or whatever, you know, there's that trope of like, you're successful if you're a doctor, a lawyer, an architect. <laughs> don't, don't listen to any of that. Just keep on, keep going. And um, it'll, it'll work itself out. The, the road is set. And I don't think I would have changed it. It's been it's been great and silly enough. I sometimes think, oh, I could have, I could have been a veterinarian, <laughs> like, or you know, I could have, I could have done nursing or dental hygienist. But I don't think that I would have changed anything. So, eighteen-year-old me would be probably surprised, but I think pleasantly surprised at the journey. Success doesn't have to look only one way, and I right. think that is a wisdom that we definitely acquire. So. Tanil, before we go, I want to make sure everyone knows where they can find your book and your podcast and connect with you. First, the podcast is Death by Architecture, available anywhere you can listen to your to podcasts on Apple, Spotify. It is on a little bit of a break, but I'm hopeful to be releasing new episodes in the new year. The book is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. If you live locally, it's in Barnes and Noble stores and I've signed those. Also, if you live locally, it's at the AIA office where I've signed those. But it's anywhere online, Walmart, 
Books a Million, Amazon, you can purchase a book there. I would love, 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 love it. If you want to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn, Tennille Bedenhausen. It's the Death by Architecture pod on Instagram and then Tennille B. Wright. Um, connect with me any type of way. I also have a website. It's Tennille B. Writes, and you can connect with me there too. If you want a signed copy, just feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn and I can get a, a signed copy and work that purchase through me and then be able to, to send it. I've had a couple of people reach out to me on LinkedIn and say that they wanted to send it to their IDP or APX mentors or people, you know, that they worked for old principals that they worked for in their offices. And so I've been able to send signed copies. So if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, we can make that happen too. Thank you so much. That is so generous of you to do that. And everybody, if you enjoyed this podcast, if you want to share an insight, I know Tanil would very much appreciate it. We all love to hear when something resonates. So definitely share if you've got any insights and tag Tanil and tag Architecting Podcast. And thank you again for being on. I loved our talk and we'll definitely have to have you on again. Oh, thank you. I love listening to your podcast. I, I actually, before when we talked, I felt like it's just like catching up with old friends. And I just love that. I love that energy about your podcast. So thank you so much for having me on. It's been great. Thank you for listening. You made it all the way to the end of the episode, which means you are committed to making yourself a priority so you can be empowered to do the work you were called to do in the world. How amazing is that? If you would like even more content just like this, please remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. I would so appreciate it if you left an honest review too. Hey, I want you to know I'm here for you beyond the boundaries of this podcast. You can follow me on social media at Architecting Podcast or visit architectingpodcast.com to download some great free resources. Take care, everyone, and stay inspired.